You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And uh, today, I just want to remind you to visit wealthformula.com and take advantage of all those resources on there. There's like free books, lots of free stuff. There's uh, the ability to sign up for the Accredited Investor Club, which is my group uh, that allows you to uh, see potential things that I'm involved with um, if you are an accredited investor. Now, who is an accredited investor anyway? It's not something you apply for. There's no licensing exam or anything like that. It's quite simple. You are an accredited investor if you make $200,000 per year or $300,000 if uh, you're filing jointly or you have a net worth of a million dollars outside of your personal residence. And that means if all you got is a house you bought 10 years ago in San Francisco or Seattle and suddenly the net worth made you a millionaire, you're not, you don't count because it's just the house that you're living in. Now, if you sell that house, you take that money or you move out and you rent that house, then suddenly you are an accredited investor. Anyway, that's a long convoluted discussion of what an accredited investor is, but that's the way it is. That's the rules. And we have a club for those accredited investors called Investor Club. And who doesn't want to be part of a club anyway? Now, the other option for you is if you're interested in getting more and more involved with the Wealth Formula community, there is Wealth Formula Network. And there is a course involved with that as well. It's called Your Roadmap to Real Wealth. And basically, it's a course that includes me. There is guys like uh, Ken McElroy, Tom Wheelwright, Real Estate Guys. Uh, we've got Christian Allen, Dean Graziosi, uh, all sorts of them. Kevin Day, incredible asset protection attorney and estate planning attorney of mine. And all of those basic fundamentals of investing, the ones I wish after I read Cashflow Quadrant approximately 10 years ago and wanted to say, okay, this is great. Now what? Well, this course is for you. And this community is for you. So check it out at wealthformularoadmap.com. And basically, again, just to reiterate, it is not only the course, but it is the course and the community, Wealth Formula Network, which includes a private Facebook community. It includes uh, access to a forum in which we put uh, new content. And finally, the highlight probably of the whole thing, at least from what I can tell for everybody, not that the course itself isn't really awesome, but the bi-weekly mastermind calls for Wealth Formula Network in which we throw down and let it all loose, and that's where the magic happens. Again, check it all out at wealthformularoadmap.com. Now, on to today's show. So people keep asking me the same questions these days, right? They're seeing the Dow keeps falling, and they're all worried about you know, what's going to happen with the economy? I don't know what's going to happen with the economy. Um, nobody does, really. You know, maybe this whole tariff thing with with Trump and the, um, and the Chinese is, is scaring people. Maybe the interest rates going up is scaring people. I think that's probably the case. 
But all those things can change on a dime, and the next thing you know, we're back to massive bull market. So it's hard to say, but I hear you. There's some instability. I can literally feel it. Right? I can feel it in the air. There's like this instability out there. Nobody knows what's going on. There's fear, uncertainty, despair. And if you're in the cryptocurrency world, you know that very, very well. We call that FUD. But in the economy at large, we're seeing that. We're seeing fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Now, based on that, people say, Buck, what are you investing in, you know, with all this uncertainty? Are you just sitting on cash? Well, not really. No, no. I mean, I'm sitting on some cash, but what I'm doing and again, don't consider this financial advice because I'm not supposed to be a financial advisor. You know, you have to do a full, I think, uh, I don't know, 30 hours or something like that in order to give financial advice. So, you know, the fact that, you know, if you do those courses and uh, you still have no money of your own, you are allowed to give financial advice. Well, I, I'm not in that position. So I can't give you financial advice, but I will tell you this, I am not doing things that different from what I was doing before. What do I mean by that? Well, in times like these, where there's fear, uncertainty, and doubt, I still believe and invest in multifamily real estate. And I still believe and invest in life insurance products. Why? Well, in the case of multifamily real estate, people got to live somewhere, right? That's Maslow's hierarchy level two, right after, right after eating and stuff like that. You got to have shelter and safety and all that stuff, right? That is not going to change anytime soon. And the reality is paying you rent is required. So people don't have to move out and live on the street where there is not shelter and safety. And to that extent, what good's your Apple stock going to do if you've got no place to live? Now, what if asset prices go down, you ask? Well, yeah, again, as long as you are moderate with leverage and continue to deleverage by creating value, you should be just fine if you're doing that properly. Against, again, I've said this before. I've said it in a recent podcast that in my opinion, and those of you know uh, that in my investor club, you know that I'm doubling down on this, is that frankly, I believe that real estate is still good as gold, probably better than gold. Now, what about, okay, real estate, sure. But what about this life insurance thing? Why do you keep talking about that, Buck? Well, if you don't know what I'm talking about, first go to wealthformulabanking.com and watch the webinars because it's pretty self-explanatory and you'll get a sense for yourself of what exactly I'm talking about. You know, it drives me crazy when know-it-all doctors, and sorry, I mean, they're, they're not listening to this show, by the way. They are, you know, blogging and stuff like that other places. But when know-it-all doctors tell me and tell the rest of us that life insurance is not a good investment. Well, if you look at the way their policies are structured, the ones that they saw, of course, they are absolutely right. They just aren't seeing the way that the wealthy people structure these things. Now, the wealthiest people in this country, the Romneys, the Rothschilds, all use these products to create wealth. Do you think it is possible that the wealthiest people in this country know more than an ER doc about this stuff? Well, I'll leave that up to you. 
Now, the good news is that the structure used by the ultra-wealthy for these policies is not out of your reach because you're not rich, you're not wealthy. It's not about the amount of money you put into these things. It's about how you structure them. You don't have to be a millionaire or a billionaire to make these things work for you. In unstable financial times, if you feel instability, dealing with these kinds of investments that have consistently paid out since before the Civil War, through the Great Depression, through hyperinflation, might not be a bad idea. Now, we've talked about this stuff before and will continue to do so because I consider it a way of multiplying wealth. And again, check out wealthformulabanking.com. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this. But the thing about it is guys like me who look at this and they think, well, God, this is a great way to make money right now and in the next couple of years, sometimes we overlook the fact that there are a lot of not-so-obvious benefits to these kinds of products as well. And so I thought it might make a good show to talk about some of these things. So I have got the guys who are the best in the business to talk about these types of details. So when we come back, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie are going to talk about all of those little-known advantages of these wonderful wealth instruments. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, my guests today on Wealth Formula Podcast are well-known to many of you. They are the insurance partners of Wealth Formula and in the Wealth Formula Banking and Velocity Plus world. Uh, their names, of course, are Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. And, and um, we've done webinars with these guys before. And if you're curious, you haven't seen them before, and we'll come back to this again, but it's wealthformulabanking.com. And we've got some new educational stuff coming up uh, on these products uh, this year as well that you're going to want to pay uh, attention to. Anyway, with the larger personal finance strategies that we hammer all the time, you know, with these products, Sometimes we forget about some of the other benefits of these accounts and also some of the unique strategies that people are using them uh, for outside of velocity and leverage, which is the things that we like about them the best, generally speaking, as investors. So I wanted to get, get uh, Rod and Christian back on and talk about some of these perhaps, you know, maybe they're a little bit less sexy to talk about than leverage and velocity and all these things, but they're equally useful elements of utilizing permanent life insurance products in your own portfolio. So with that said, Rod and Christian, welcome back to the show. Actually, Rod, I don't think we, maybe we haven't had you. We've only had Christian in the past. Yeah, I think I'm a first timer. Yeah. So um, guys, first, before, you know, before we kind of get into some of the nuances, I thought it might be a good idea, even though we've kind of, you know, we have full webinars on these things. Just so anybody who's relatively new to the show can you summarize these two products? I mean, let's start with this whole concept that we're calling wealth formula banking. Can you give us sort of this 30 second summary of kind of what that is? I know it's not easy, but give it a shot. Yeah, no, that's that's great. So uh, first off, thanks for having us back, Buck. It's uh, good to be on the podcast. Um, yeah. So as we talk about wealth formula banking, it actually is pretty simple. The whole The whole strategy is designed around enhancing the investing that we're already doing, right? So more or less, what we're suggesting is that people can create 
more value than they would be able to otherwise by just simply utilizing the policy in conjunction with their investing. And it ultimately becomes um, the opportunity fund, right? So as people use this, as, as they invest, then they can just cash flow in and out of it. There's some significant tax benefits. There's some uh, security that we just can't get any other place. Uh, so yeah, there's, and then of course, there's all these kind of other benefits that we're going to hit on today. But really, when we're focusing on wealth formula banking, it's all about enhancing the investing and generating a higher overall return with the investing that we're doing. So the idea in this, again, just to, <clears throat> let me give you my two cents, because, uh, you know, when I first heard about people talking about banking, I was like, what are you talking about? Bank on yourself, all this stuff. And I had no idea what people were talking about. But really, um, if I'm, uh, you tell me if I'm explaining this right, but basically it is a whole life insurance policy that is structured in such a way that it doesn't look like what everybody thinks of when they think of whole life. It's on Dave Ramsey type policy, but you're, it's a tool that lets you accumulate cash that grows at a compounding rate. A compounding rate that's typically, you know, five, five and a half percent, and it is tax free. But the value of that is that you can borrow it at a simple rate and enjoy the arbitrage of, you know, having money that still grows at a compounding rate, even though you've borrowed it. It's coming from a separate insurance account, a general insurance account that you're borrowing. So almost more like a collateralized loan. And that loan comes out as a simple rate loan. And so you can uh, invest that into something. And effectively, you're investing in the same money at the two places at the same time. And that's kind of how we've been talking about Wealth Formula mm -hmm. Banking. Anything else to add to that? I mean, I think that's short... a really good overview when we get into the kind of the technical components of it. Yeah. Um, so I think you nailed it. And 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 I'm, I'm bringing that part up because that's the part that we keep reiterating from the investor side. This is what got in, got me interested as an investor, because quite honestly, I'm like a lot of people. I'm like life insurance. Yeah, I, <laughs> sure. I'm immortal, so I don't need that, actually. So um, but but no, this is this is something that's allowing you to take your current investments and to supercharge them with additional leverage and velocity. Now, Velocity Plus, let me just try to summarize it real quick because you guys, Please. sometimes you're, you're too smart for me and, and I, I do it. And it's better if you just add to it and then we can get that into some good. of the details. Velocity Plus, I think it's really interesting because usually when we have insurance people like Christian and Rodon, they're either in the camp of this whole life insurance or... They're in the camp of what we call an index universal uh, life policy. It is rare that you find somebody or a group that does both. And primarily what we're finding is the reason is that they either sell one or the other. And that they, uh, they may actually even believe the things that they are hearing, but the reality is they're, only, they're hearing a very biased view. But here is the difference. So Velocity Plus is a product that effectively allows you to, again, take money into a permanent life insurance account. So it's not just life insurance. It's actually an investment. So, But the way that grows is different. Whereas with Wealth Formula Banking, it was like, you know, five, five and a half percent fixed with, you know, dividends. It's basically, uh, 
kind of, you know, just a fixed amount of interest per year that's growing with Velocity Plus, you're now getting exposure. You're going to base that growth based on how well the stock market does. Say, for example, an S&P 500 index with one catch. And the catch is that there's going to be a cap and there's going to be a floor. So typically, the way it works is 12 or 13% of the upside of the S&P 500. And then if and zero is the floor. So in other words, every year you can either make up to 12 or 13% or if the market uh, goes down and goes below zero, you can't lose any money. And then, so that's the index universal part. The part that makes it velocity plus is that you can add leverage to this. So typically, let's say the market does 7%, S&P 500 does 7%. You get that 7%, but then you get a 3 to 1 leverage component from the bank, so that effectively becomes close to 20%. I think it's 19 point something percent internal rate of return. So it becomes very attractive in that regard because the downside still remains the downside. The floor is still the floor. At zero, you, you, know, you don't participate on the losses anymore. And so that's why I love that product. And that kind of product used to be only available to high, super, you know, ultra high net worth people. But Christian and Rod have found that uh, a way to do that for pretty much anybody who makes at least $100,000 a year. Did I miss anything worth mentioning as a summary on that? I think maybe the one thing I would add is just that it's using those same principles of leverage and velocity. It's just that it's more a passive way to do it. So whereas on the wealth form and the banking side, we were talking about, it's for active investors. We're using that in conjunction with these other cash flow investments that we're doing. Whereas on Velocity Plus, it, it stands alone. We set the money aside and it's going to do its thing. It's, we, we, we use it as kind of an alternative to a retirement fund type of thing where, where we know we're going to get this benefit down the road. And, and, but, but we still get the benefit of all those same economic principles that you tout. I think it's a, that's actually a really good point, and sometimes I, uh, I've i thought about it this way, too, because, you know, like everybody else, I have tried to get my arms around this thing, and I usually do that by, by drawing <clears throat> sort of parallels. And to me, wealth formula banking is sort of a hypercharged, self-directed IRA, Roth IRA, and then Velocity Plus is sort of like leveraged investing in the stock market with guardrails, but it's also, it would equate more to your traditional stock market portfolio that you're going to just set it and forget it in an IRA. Yeah. Both, yeah. both. And, and again, and again, equivalent to the Roth side, right? Because right. as, as we're taking that income out down the road, it's going to be tax free. Okay. So I think yeah. that's, that's a good summary. If anybody wants to jump into a lot more detail on that, again, go to wealthformulabanking.com and you will see full webinars on either one of those. But it's important that you get a little bit of background on kind of what these things are if, we, if we're going to get into some of these nuances like we are today. So let's talk about this in a little bit more depth. I mean, of course, um, you know, I never liked the idea of retirement per se in general, because to me, retirement is sort of the same thing as death. So, you know, I'm retired from medicine, but I'm always going to be doing something no matter how much money I have or make or whatever. But, you know, there's some people out there who think of a banking uh, strategy, particularly for the purpose of having what we call uh, tax-free retirement income, right? And that's actually something that 
we don't tend to emphasize as much, but a lot of people think of it almost purely for that purpose. Can you talk a little bit how that would work? Yeah, for sure. So this has been a this has been one of those things that has received a lot of attention over the last probably decade, especially as we've seen, you know, the kind of volatility in the market. I say that and yet we've had, you know, we've had a lot of good years in a row, but but as we go back to through the 2000s, that's when they started to grow more because of the fact that people were, you know, were oftentimes nervous about the volatility of the market and wanted to be able to create something unique. Well, so the benefit here is that even though we're we're actively using the policy to invest our money, we're using it for real estate or cash flow investments. Once we get to that time for once we get to the point where we want to start drawing on the policy itself, we now have the opportunity to take it out as a tax-free retirement income flow. And so what we're doing then is is we're using it for the exact same purposes that we would have otherwise. But like you said, oftentimes we don't emphasize the fact that on the back end, if we want to use it as a really powerful fixed income, um, tax-free fixed income part of our retirement income, we can certainly do it. And so that's really the power of it. And, and again, like, you know, there's been a, a myriad of books written on the subject and it's just a, another really simple but powerful use that we get from doing wealth formula banking in general. And to be clear, let's talk about the mechanics of that, because I know people are thinking to themselves, well, wait a second. Yeah. I'm borrowing this money. Okay. Well, that explains why I don't get taxed on it, right? Because you don't, you know, you you don't get taxed on borrowed money. In fact, um, I'm trying to get Ed McCaffrey on the show. It, it is, he's a guy, a, a tax professor, law professor at, uh, Mm. at USC. And he has this mantra that is buy, borrow, die. And he doesn't talk about it in, in the context of just life insurance. He talks about it in terms of any asset. But this is kind of what we're talking about. I mean, it is effectively you're buying, you have an asset, you're borrowing against it, right? So you're not taxed there. Now, explain the concept of because some people are thinking, yeah, but I still have to pay that interest back, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And especially as we start talking about borrowing, when we traditionally think of borrowing, obviously we're thinking of paying it back at some point, which does happen here. So let me just get through the mechanics. When we put money into a life insurance policy, it's after tax dollars. So when it goes into the policy itself, um, they're, they've already paid the taxes on it. The money that gets in there is going to continue to grow on a tax advantage basis, regardless of how somebody brings money out of the policy. It then becomes so when in that stage it's tax deferred. Now what ends up happening is on the retirement side, or once we want to start drawing income from this vehicle, what we're going to do is we're going to adjust the way that we bring money out of it. So what we do is we start by taking out the money that's already been in. Well, that money's already been taxed anyway, right? So I don't have to pay taxes on my basis. And then in addition to that, then we're going to start utilizing loans. Now, the, the, the reason that this can be a little bit confusing, again, is because when we think of loans, we think we have to pay that back. Well, we do have to pay that back, but we're not going to be the ones actively paying that back at any point in our lifetime. What happens is, is the policy is designed so that the death benefit will come into play, pay off whatever loan balance is there and needed to make the policy whole, and then whatever is left will then go to... Um, whoever the beneficiaries of the policy are. So again, it's just a it's just important to kind of understand the mechanics of how we get there. But but the biggest thing I think is just when we think of loans as it pertains to retirement income and life insurance, 
um, the death benefit's going to pay that off rather than us during our lifetime. That making sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One of the questions may arise again. I'm just, I like to kind of um, figure out some of these things that I'm sure other people are thinking about. So even yeah. if I know the answer, I'm going to ask you, but you may, you, you may have a situation where you've got um, interest that, that you have every year. Now, how does that, I mean, you say you don't have to pay it off, but if you don't pay it off, doesn't that compound? Yeah. So the, I mean, it works, the the loan is going to work the same way here as what it was when we were using for the investments, right? So there's this loan balance out there, but the loan with the money we received on that was came from general account of the insurance company. So the cash value is all still there continuing to grow and compound. Uh Now the difference is we, we, we emphasized when we're doing the investing that it's, that our, our loan rate is, is simple, right? Because we're right. paying on that loan yep. while the cash value is growing on a compounding rate. Now both sides are going to grow and they're going to compound, but they're doing it in parallel. So, and, it. and ultimately again, because this death benefit, this tax-free death benefit is, is what's going to come and pay it off. That's how from, from beginning to end, it all is happening on a tax-free basis. Right, right. Maybe one other point that would be helpful, <clears throat> a couple, actually a couple other points as, are, as it applies to retirement income the first one is that um, there's some kind of unique features that we build into it. And, and this is one of the things I just wanted to mention. Most of the time when we're building this out, the primary concern that would come to somebody is, well, what if I take too much money out of the policy? What happens, right? Mm-hmm. We have to maintain the integrity of the tax benefits. So uh, to that, to make sure that we're planning and preparing for that, we'll usually use a company that provides an overloan protection rider which just guarantees that we don't ever have to worry about not being able to pay off the loan with the death benefit. And, and, and it guarantees that we never have to pay taxes on it. So, um, so there's a couple of key things there that I think are really critical and understanding the dynamics of how we get this thing to come out tax-free and stay that way forever, I think uh, puts a lot of people's mind to ease. Now, just for compare and contrast, the usual thing that people do here is and again, and emo- I mean, of course, not wealth formula people because they're too smart to do this. <laughs> no, just kidding. There's some people. Some people are, you know, they'd have a lot of money in these four hundred one ks or self directed IRAs, etc. And um, again, I think that personally, I do not have, um, I I don't have those kinds of retirement accounts because you have this kind of product available. Why, you know, if if Unless somebody was matching or, or you, you know, it was a contribution from your employer, it wouldn't make a lot of sense in my view. But say you do have a 401k or an IRA, the difference is ultimately that, you know, you're counting on, uh, you, those are more sort of like, okay, you've, you've paid your taxes. And the difference is on the Roth side is that you have some restrictions and you don't have them on the banking side. Is that probably a fair yeah there's a there's and we're going to get into this as we talk about some of the other benefits as we go further into this but um, flexibility is really critical and you know with a 401k most often you can maybe get fifty thousand dollars on a loan but even then the loan doesn't work at all like the loan from the life insurance company so they're totally different um, in the way that they work and of course if if i don't pay it back then i'm going to get i'm going to get a a tax bill for that. I could get a penalty for it. So there's a lot of dynamics that make it a little bit tougher. The reason that um, I think the reason that people do that is just because it's just what they know, right? Right. So it's just a normal thing. It feels comfortable, um, and we're just happy that you know we can come in and bring another another idea to the table that people could consider. Right. 
Right. Okay, so let's let's move on with some of the other uh, things that I think that are less talked about, which frankly, again, I don't I don't pay that much attention to, but I think they're important for people to think about. So after retirement and before death, there's often this period of decline. And uh, some people need a lot more help than others as they age. And uh, one of the benefits of these kinds of insurance products um, that we tend not to think about is the idea of long-term care. So for healthy, young, strapping lads out there, (laughs) what exactly is this whole long-term care thing all about? Why is it important? You know, this ends up being one of those things that people maybe didn't even realize they got out of their policy, and then one day they need it and it's there. Will you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So so let me just start by saying there's a couple of really major flaws in the long-term care market, the, the long-term insurance market. Um, first one is that it hasn't been around long enough for them to price it accurately. So what's happening is, is you're seeing older people who have bought it and they, their price just continues to go up. And oftentimes they just eventually can't pay the premium anymore. Um, so that's one of the issues. The other issue is that there's a 50% chance I'll use it. There's a 50% chance I won't. So I could be somebody that's paying a significant premium and potentially not any get anything back from it. Well, so what happened is the life insurance world, a kind of life insurance um, industry came into the equation and said, all right, let's see if we can do something that's more effective. And so uh, what they've done is they created riders that can get attached to life insurance policies. And there's various different types, but um, the one that we normally use is just called a, an accelerated death benefit for chronic illness. And what it is, simply put, it's the ability to not just utilize our, our cash value while we're alive, but I'll actually access the death benefit value while we're living to cover long-term care type expenses. And in all of the research and study that we've done, um, the consensus really among the experts is that it's a far more efficient way to do it. Now, it's not quite as robust as getting the, you know, a traditional plan. Uh, but again, there's just so much more I can do with it. And of course, I have the flexibility of utilizing it in a variety of different ways. I can, of course, use it for wealth formula banking, which is the primary reason, or Velocity Plus, either one of those would fit. Uh, so yeah, that's the main thing is just understanding that they have a rider. The, uh, let me back up, actually. Most of the time, unless somebody wants something more robust, then we'll just have a rider that costs nothing. And, and so the, what you mentioned there, Buck, is, is literally how it works. If you need it, I can get the value out of it. But if I don't, it's never costed me anything to have it. Let's, and I think that's go, another important point. Let's just go into a little bit of detail on this. Because again, you know, most people, myself included, don't really know what, this, what, what typical long-term insurance looks like and, and what does it cover. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do here with insurance in general and with, we're, we're obviously creating wealth, but we're trying to protect our families. And so people think about protecting their families when they die, but sometimes the drain on them as you're dying and sucking away all of this, all of these dollars is huge. So typically a, uh, in, in the form of long-term care insurance, that's basically what you're buying. It's like a okay, I need long-term care at some point. This is, you know, I've got insurance to cover this, so I'm going to pay for a bunch of years. And like you said, there's a 50-50 chance you'll need it. So the insurance company is going to win either way. But in, in a banking setting or in any of these permanent life settings, 
the difference is 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 you what does that writer look like i mean does it mean like you can start digging into the death benefit early is that kind of yeah how, yeah oh, that's exactly what it is it's and and you know like Christian said, there's no cost to that writer on the front end. What happens is they're going to discount those death dollar, the, the death benefit dollars to today because I'm using them now while I'm still alive. And so if I'm 75 when I use it, uh, there might be a, a greater discount than if I'm 90 when I use it. But the point is, it, it is that death benefit that's, that's being accelerated toward that. And it could be used for a you know, monthly type of benefit like the traditional long-term care world where I'm having someone come into my home to take care of me or I'm in a facility and it's covering those costs, or it could even be taken in as some lump sum. So for example, if I had to do some kind of modification to my home or my car so I can get around, then I could, I could use it for that. So it, it's pretty flexible in the way that it actually can be used on the back end. One other thing maybe just to add is that we should probably define is just what qualifies as long-term care. Yeah. So just like in a traditional setting, what, they, what they'll do is they'll look at the six major functions of daily living. And if you're unable, if a person's unable to perform two of the six, then they can then qualify after they've gotten a signature from a doctor. So the exact same parameters that apply in a traditional long-term care setting apply here. Once we do that, then they now have access to the, uh, the death benefit portion that we're talking about. Right. So yeah, it can be really valuable. And again, it's we don't emphasize it, but once once we get there and need it, it could be hugely valuable. Let's go to death, right? I mean, so we bought this life insurance policy and beyond all the uses uh, in in life that really, uh, personally, that's what I've been, what I think about when I, I buy these is that I think they're good ways of creating wealth and, and leveraging the money I have into other investments, et cetera. But there is this ultimate function in death, and and for a death benefit alone, why would permanent life insurance make more sense than term insurance? Because you know you hear the 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 thing that I heard, and I'm sure people hear this all the time when they you know first get advice. Somebody comes along, and I got the same advice. They say buy term and invest the difference because permanent life insurance is too expensive, right? So mm. if, if, if you're just trying to buy some, if you're just getting life insurance, just in general, is there an advantage to getting permanent over term, at least in the way that you're structuring it? Because I know for a fact it isn't the way that most brokers structure these things. Yeah, so there are, there are several directions we could go with this. And, and I think the, the first one is just to, to recognize that uh, obviously term is, is what it is, right? If, if I buy a 10 year term or, or a 20 or 30 year term and I don't die in that time, the, the insurance goes away or, or at the very least the, the premium goes up so dramatically, I'm not willing to continue to pay it. Right. So it is a, a temporary solution. You're renting. Uh, right. Renting. Yeah. And, and that's a sunk cost, right? It's, it's gone either way. And, and I'm not planning on dying. The insurance company's not planning on me dying. Right. Yeah. So we're in agreement on that. Uh, and, and if everything goes the way we, we think it will, then then you're right. It's it's just it's a sunk cost. Well, let me be specific about that cost, because that's something that I've heard, you know, people talk about. But in reality, after a couple of years, your insurance, the insurance component of this is effectively free. Well, well, so, yeah, I mean, when we look at the wealth formula banking, for example, 
And yes, there are, are upfront costs. And, and so we may not have as much cash value right off the bat as, as what we've put in. Um, but, but really, you know, by year five, year six, I have as much in my cash value as what I've put in. And from that point on, it's, it's going to grow and compound. And ultimately, like you said, get me to this, this point where I'm getting five, five and a half percent of a net growth. And all of that is happening after paying the costs of the policy. So it's not that it's free, right? But, but because I'm, you know, the, the interest and dividend that I, that I did get some of that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't have an equivalent IRR to what that was. Um, but when we talk about this kind of return, it is after all those costs are accounted for. So it, it's so in a sense we're not, it's not a sunk cost, right? It's, it's just a, a part of the program. Right. So when that happens, Buck, because of our emphasis and designing the policy perfect every time, we're always going to design it so that it's minimum cost, maximum cash. So again, um, going back to your point, even though I have some costs in the first year, by the time I get past that, maybe that's the second year, I'm starting to gain money every single year, regardless of of uh, what's happening outside of that. So, again, even though, uh, well, actually, one other thing I wanted to back up and just say for just just to kind of uh, create some context here: term insurance isn't a bad thing, right? Like, I just want to that kept coming into my mind. It's one of those things that can be really critical and really important and really helpful for people. And so, we don't want to suggest that it's never that it never makes sense and it's never right. In fact. Oftentimes, what we'll do is we'll use a combination of wealth formula banking um, because we want to focus on the cash building components of that. Over time, that'll actually do better from a death benefit perspective as well. But sometimes what we'll do is we'll just we'll just utilize um, inexpensive term insurance to go along with that to make sure that we're not just planning for the investment side of things, but we're also planning for the, the possibility that, that someone could die prematurely right so anyway i know i'm kind of all over on that but i just that was a point i thought that uh, we ought to hit on at least briefly yeah no i think that's right i mean i guess my point is my point here is not that it's not that um there's that there's not value in term in fact i would say that one of the major major uh, values in my view is that you can make sure you're insured properly that you get as much term as you can because you may not want to get you may not want to spend that, you know, an enormous amount of money in in terms of just the policy itself. So you may end up doing yeah. half of this and half of that. And, um, you know, we've certainly talked about some of that uh, in terms of my planning uh, as well, as you know. Um, Absolutely. In fact, we, for me, and, and I was talking to Rod, I don't know if I'd talk to you about this yet, Christian, because I know we're in the middle of working on some new stuff. For me, one of the things I was telling the, uh, the guys was, we're going to do one of these policies and I know that's going to have a hefty, you know, premium that I'm, you know, that I think of as an investment. But on the other side for me, because this, the other part that I'm, we're planning for is my wife. For me, I was thinking about doing something that was uh, potentially the additional insurance that I have on me would be what I would call convertible. Right. So in other words, we're already spending a a, you know, we're all already investing a lot in insurance products, which I'm happy about because I think there's probably very few things that I would say come near to the risk uh, benefit ratio there. Mm-hmm. But I also am thinking in a couple years, I may have a lot more money than I even have right now. And if that's the case, I want to make sure that I lock in some rates with a convertible 
type policy. Can you talk a little bit about what that is so people know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So from, uh, I mean, from its basic standpoint, it's it's term insurance, just like we would think of in in, in any other context for term insurance. But what happens is, is the insurance company is already committed to, to that death benefit. And so they're not necessarily picky on whether it's term or whether it's something else. And so they give us this opportunity to, uh, like if, if we wanted down the road to do something with wealth formula banking or with Velocity Plus, then we can take all or a portion of that term policy and convert it into a whole life or an index universal life policy. And, and so we're just repurposing it toward the kind of the other side of the equation. So it's, and like you said, you've already qualified for it. There's no underwriting process that we have to go to, through at that point. It's just a matter of, uh, putting in the paperwork to, to do that conversion over to the other type of insurance. So, so in other words, the age changes, but the health rating locks in permanently. Yeah. So that's the benefit of getting something that's convertible. You're, you're covering the need for your family, right? But at the same time, you're giving yourself the opportunity to move into the wealth formula banking or velocity plus world either for the first time or, or in addition to what's already there. So it really just provides some additional options that a lot of people don't think about because they're thinking, I just want the least expensive term policy I can possibly get. And sometimes that's just a missed uh, or just kind of an oversight that can that can come back to bite us. Yeah. And I think that's really important because I think one of the things, you know, being in my mid 40s now, every five to 10 years, uh, knock on wood, I make a lot more money than I do the five years previous. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so the, the concept, I mean, even just going through calculations, we we're just talking about five, six, you know, seven years uh, ago when I got some of these other policies that we're trying to replace now, you know, Rod and I were talking, I need like literally twice as much insurance now than I used to based on my annualized, you know, income. Right. And so it would have been a lot better had I known you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and and it done something convertible when I was, you know, a little younger and a little bit more spry <laughs> and locked that in rather than starting to sweat it when they come at me to get my blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, there's really, there, that's, that's it. I mean, it, it's one of those things that takes a little bit of foresight. And yeah. if we can do it, then it's really valuable. And what's interesting is, to get a convertible, like a policy from a good company that's going to be convertible is not going to be a significant difference in actual cost. It might be the difference of five or 10%. But that could, you know, again, when we're talking about, let's say it's a couple hundred bucks a month that we're talking about, it's absolutely worth it when I can then go and just, just look back five, 10 years and say, all right, I'm just going to start this up. I don't even have to think twice about it. A couple other things just in terms of uh, the death part of this, right? Mm-hmm. There's an estate planning benefit, which is obviously if you have an estate, you know, if you have a large enough estate where you could be paying estate taxes, you can structure these with an irrevocable insurance trust. That's one thing, so that it would take it completely out of your uh, out of your, your estate. Estate, yeah. and also. This money is going to ultimately then, uh, even if you don't have an estate tax problem, it gets you out of probate, right? right. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge, it's a huge thing on liquidity, because um, you know, especially for a lot of the people who who are your listeners who are investing in real estate and, and some of these other cash flow types of investments, those when those pass to the kids, it can be a huge benefit for them to also have some liquidity go with it. 
right? Especially right. if there's tax this tax burden, but really uh, across the board, a need for liquidity can be huge. And, and so this provides for that. Speak on this book is that um, life insurance and life insurance and real estate are, uh, in my opinion, the very best assets from a moving from one generation to the next standpoint. Uh, obviously, real estate, we get a step up in basis on, which is significant, right? On the life insurance side, we get basically the equivalent, right? We get a tax-free death benefit, which ultimately means I've now made, I've gotten the whole value of the policy, even if I've only put very, you know, I could have put very little money into it. So uh, the reason I mentioned that is just because right now, right now, obviously the estate tax limits are pretty high, right? We just got to 11 million, just 11 million and some change per person, but we don't know where that's going to be in the future. And I so that expires from, in just a couple of years. Right. right. Yeah. 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 We, we, it's just, it's, it's one of those things. It's almost impossible to plan for because it's a moving target. We just don't know where it is, but the reality is, is that a lot of the things we're doing, we can do a purpose, right? So we don't have to use wealth formula banking exclusively for that. We can create this value in these other places. And again, because of the way that we design it, this is really what's interesting is that if I live a, if I go and live to uh, average lifespan, and I buy a policy that was focused on death benefit when I was young versus buying one the way that we do it with low cost, high cash, we're actually going to have more death benefit over time as well. So all we have to do, going back to this whole idea of planning for death benefit in a state, is just make sure that we plug that gap in between. Um, but, but again, if we, can, if we can have a place where we have liquid money, then we don't have to fire sell real estate or other assets. Now we have the ability to make choices that we want rather than doing something because we're we're forced to. I don't have any significant business partners. In other words, you know, the, the businesses that I have, I'm, I'm the sole owner. But I have seen, I have heard of a number of situations in which people with businesses, with partners, that, that insurance has played a role in that. Can you talk a little bit about that? It's something I don't know much about, but I, you know, I know yeah. I, I've heard about it being used. Yeah, I think there are two primary things to focus on. The first one would be what they call a buy-sell. And really, whenever a, a corporation is created with, with partners, usually the, the, the attorneys are building into that some sort of buy-sell agreement where if, if Christian and I are partners, and, and we are, then if I pass away, then he's going to take care of my family, right? That he's going to buy out my portion of it. Otherwise, he has to go into business with my wife, and I don't know if that's... <laughs> Right. in the in the plan right. but uh but anyway She's but great uh, in all right but, you know, <laughs> but yeah i prefer not to <laughs> yeah but but the thing that happens is that those these often aren't set up that the funding for that isn't set up right so if he's got to come up with a lot of money when, when i unexpectedly pass away then that's you know that could be a problem so death life insurance is a great way to to fund that so that's that's the first one to buy sell well and, yeah. and again maybe just just to emphasize this as we're talking about these different points we're not exclusively even having to use it for the buy sell. We could be using it to do everything that we do with wealth formula banking and have it dual purpose to create or to fund the buy sell that's already existed in our articles of incorporation. Now we have something to back it up and that can actually fund it if that situation comes up. Right. Absolutely. And, and the second way, which can fit into the same, same conversation, but it's called key man. So if I have an employee who is so important to my business that if he's gone, then the the my ability to continue on is is changed. It's gonna it's gonna take something very material for me to replace that person. Then having a life insurance policy 
in place can, can do something on that. And, and again, we can dual purpose it, right? It, it could become some kind of a, an executive benefit or something for that employee where now he or she can be coming, can, can be doing the banking using that policy. Uh, and it also has the backup for me as the business owner. You know, it, this is maybe off a little topic, but I just, maybe you know about this, but I heard that um, Jim Harbaugh, the, the uh, yeah. Michigan, uh, Michigan coach, football coach. Yeah, mm-hmm. I heard that um, insurance was a big part of his comp package. Do you yeah, know anything was, about that? I w- I'm sort of curious yeah. kind of like how that worked. Yeah, it was, it was set up as, as a uh, part of his package where they would, where they would fund the policy and, and, and that would become part of basically it's kind of like refunding his, his retirement plan, but, but without all of the strings and the, and the stuff attached, right? The limits. So kind of uh, like a so, banking, it was like a banking policy. Yeah. So they were able to put millions of dollars a year into this policy for him that, that will become his, he vests, so to speak, right. On in using similar terms as the retirement side. But, uh, so it'll become a huge piece of his of tax-free retirement income for him when, when he retires. Would it, would he have been, um, Again, this is a little bit off topic. I'm just curious about that. So when they when they paid that, when they funded that, would he get he didn't get taxed on that? Yeah. So um, it's it's a between he and the business, there it is going to be taxed. It is it is uh, compensation. Oh, it right? is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just curious why why it would structure that that particular way. You know, and and to be honest with you, Buck, um, it's been a while since I read about that. So I may, we may be a little bit fuzzy on some of the details, um, but he definitely did use it as a hugely significant part of his package. It seems like it was, you know, mm. to the tune of $10 million or something like that. So um, obviously it was significant, but uh, there were some, some interesting things that they did that we, you know, we do with people all the time. It's just a matter of understanding the dynamics of how to make that fit. Yeah. I always think it's kind of funny, you know, <clears throat> when you hear all these, uh, doctors in particular when I when I was out of training telling me you know to stay away from these types of permanent policies then you hear about these really really ultra wealthy people using you know insurance products left and right and it's like well gosh it's because they were looking at a completely different product that's why they weren't looking at yeah so it's it's one of those things from my perspective like you almost can't blame somebody for feeling that way if all they've seen is is something that doesn't create wealth the way that they, like it, it, it just makes sense to me that people end up feeling that way. So our job is to try to educate and find, you know, help people understand the situations where it can be really valuable. And again, I know I've emphasized this several times, but the design, low cost, high cash is everything. And just very few people know how to do it. I just, just, to, just to that point, I want to point out something that that is so critically important because even the idea of low cost, overfunding, et cetera, even that can be done differently. And, you know, I know, and, and I can share that I initially had a, a policy of a big one, a big one. And, mm-hmm. um, and you guys looked at it and you said, okay, this is not bad, but over the course of a decade, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars difference if you just structured it slightly, slightly different. And so that's why it's so important to make sure that you, you know, I, I, I mean, of course I'm biased because I'm totally with, you know, with these guys, but I mean, even if you have illustrations and you're thinking about doing something or you already have illustrations, you still might want to send it to Rod and Christian. Cause literally I, 
I took a loss on on that policy because I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to stay in it if, you know, if over the long term I could do so much better. So um, yeah, and that and that's a hard decision for sure, but. Um, it really is surprising, even inside of the world where people are, you know, professing to do banking, most people just don't have just they just don't do it enough. They don't have the expertise to know exactly how to do it, either that or they do know how to do it and they're not willing to. So our kind of guarantee to people as we talk to them is that we'll we'll we're totally confident that we'll make it perfect each time one um, and to verify that. We just tell, we'll just tell anybody that we'll run it up against any design that's out there. And we just know we're going to come back with it 100% of the time. And I think that's why we've had so much success in working together is because if you deliver for people what they're looking for, that just makes a huge difference. And it's surprising how many people don't. The only time <laughs> I think I, I, I believe it, the only time I brought you guys something where you said you couldn't, you couldn't beat it was because it was done illegally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to do that at times. Well, well, but well, other than somebody that, designed we, something essentially where it was over, overfunded too much legally to even be considered a uh, insurance. It was a it was a modified endowment uh, yeah, thing. Yeah, and and even that can have value at times, right? But yeah, yeah, but again, not in the banking world, right? That would not be a tax free type tool. Yes, and I remember you guys going, "Well, it, yeah, we can't beat it, but but it won't work. It's not going to work." <laughs> Okay, so here's another, uh, going on to another interesting use. And this one's relatively new, and I'm curious on your thoughts. Um, I've, I've heard about a number of people opening these policies on their children uh, in lieu of using 529s. Maybe you could talk about kind of the way a 529 w works in general. I, I don't use one. Again, my theory was if I you know, had enough, uh, assets. I just use those assets to fund. I don't need a separate account, but, no. but in reality, it is something that is an option. Can you talk about how that would work and, you know, what the relative benefit or, you know, sure. would be for that? Yeah. So, uh, a 529 plan is, is basically set up by the state <clears throat> and it's a, a place where, where you could set aside money. Like you said, it's, it's for your kid and for their future education. Um, it has to be specifically used for education, um, so it's earmarked for that. But but you know if if you know, you know your kid's going to go to to college, then you know why not uh, do set the money aside and do it in a way that that can be tax tax beneficial for you, right? Right. So, um, so you you take some money that uh, you've paid tax on and you're setting it aside in this account. It grows and ultimately when it comes time to use it, you get to take it out tax-free any growth anything you've seen on that it, you're just all gonna take it out it's gonna come out tax-free and and so um, you know the, the the account that the state is setting up for you or, or the options that they're making available for you are going to be you know the equivalent of mutual funds that you get to invest in I, I kind of think of it similar to a 401k right my business sets it up for me they make the the options available to me to invest in these certain funds and that's a similar thing that's happening with the state. They set up the opportunity to invest in this 529 plan. They give me the options that are available and I can choose to, to invest in those. What so, are the restrictions on those? I mean, if, if a kid decides not to go to college or they get a full ride, what happens? Yeah, so then it, it just, it, it, it becomes a retirement plan. The backup is is that we just leave it there. It continues to, to do its thing. And, okay. and then ultimately we, we can take it out as, as a, a retirement account. 
So there's two, from my perspective, there's two major challenges that come with the 529. The first one is just investment options like we talked about, right? So the even though Rod mentioned it like a 401k, there's not nearly the kind of um, investment options. The, the state's not giving nearly the kind of investment options that generally a 401k does. It's very, it's really pretty limited, right? So that's the first thing. If you're not a market investor, then that's probably not a place you want to go. Um, and then the next thing is, is it's really unflexible, right? So the benefit of using uh, using a life insurance policy, just like we're doing with wealth formula banking and setting it up the exact same way is that I can use it for college if I want, but I don't have to. And I can use it all along the way for investing in other things as well. So it becomes one of these things where um, it's it from a tax standpoint, they're identical. From an underlying investment perspective, life insurance, we're usually going to use, we usually will use whole life, but if someone wanted to take a little bit of additional risk for reward, then, then we could go with the IUL. But, but either way, um, the tax benefits are going to be exactly the same. Uh, the investment options are going to be different. The flexibility is going to be hugely different. And that's really what the benefit of using, that's why the, that's why it's, the life insurance world has become really popular inside of college education planning. And one, one thing on that too is uh, <clears throat> that's kind of a side benefit is cash value life insurance is not included in your assets on the FAFSA. So mm-hmm. when I'm going and, and right. want to apply for grants or, right. or loans or things like that, then that does not count. So just to be clear, what you're saying there is when you're filling out that information and they're deciding how much financial aid to give you, the money that's in your 529 is going to go plop right on that you know line item. They're going to know about it. But money that's in insurance, cash value and in insurance is not going to go on there. Correct. So, yep. you, so you'll, you yeah, may end up Yeah, that's a big deal, money. obviously. If, yeah. if you've got, you know, kids who are going to school and they want to get financial aid, like it, it really does make a big difference. So that's huge. A big one. Okay. Let's go back to this whole idea. Let's talk about the high net worth people again, because yeah. first of all, you know, the whole reason that I discovered, you know, these kinds of products in the first place is because, you know, like I said, when I first finished residency training, I had all these, you know, doctors giving me this advice about insurance and it was always so negative about permanent life. And then I, and then I started, uh, meeting and knowing people with a lot of money, you know, people, people who had like net worth of, you know, 20, 30, 40 million dollars. And they were using insurance products left and right. I'm like, these guys can't be dumb, right? <laughs> so that's when I did it sort of a deep dive into this. And they the products that they use sometimes are, you know, enhanced a little bit even more than some of the things that your typical investor can get. Specifically when we talk about premium finance products or you know, other things. Can you talk, first of all, if you would define who we're talking about, like when we say high net worth, is that like, you know, somebody who's, you know, net worth is 5 million, 10 million. Um, is it? <laughs> yeah, income? that's a great question. And it seems to be kind of a moving chart, but the reality is, is that utilizing premium finance at some level, we've been able to, to um, do with more people than we previously were, right? Well, well so, Velocity Plus is a premium finance product, but the leverage yes. is limited to three to one in that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you're exactly right. So as when we move past that, um, we're usually talking about a $5 million number. Before we'll go from using our traditional Velocity Plus model to going to this kind of next level where 
maybe we're not going to use a three to one leverage. We're going to use maybe just collateral and not have any premium coming out of our pocket. So yeah, I, I, once we get to that $5 million mark, that's where we're comfortable. Um, and most insurance companies are comfortable at that point as well. Okay. So, so what is, let, let's talk specifics, maybe just some examples of some of the things that are available in the, in that world. If, if, you know, cause we do have a few, I mentioned, I, I am, you know, we're working on, um, one, uh, with my yep. family. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a few others in our investor group who are, are currently in the middle of this. Can you describe, you know, just so there are others out there who may have an interest in this, explain why it works, how it works, why it may be of benefit. And, you know, basically, cause we've, we've talked about velocity plus a little bit, but give, give your, give us a two or three minute rundown on the features of something like that. What's available right now. Sure. So the first thing I'll say is that the value, maybe the greatest value to using pre this premium finance strategy is that we're getting an asset without having to put money out of it, right? So our experience is that as people grow in their net worth, as they grow in confidence in investing, most people are able to generate better returns. And and maybe you can validate this, Buck, but, but based on my experience, that's true. Have you been... <laughs> Have you been able to generate higher returns as you had more money? I guess is the question I'm thinking. Yeah, because you have more money to invest, right? Yeah, and and you end up being an accredited investor. You can participate in different things that you maybe not could yeah. you couldn't hurt previously. So all of those things come into play um, and create a situation where where we don't have to put that money out of pocket, right? Because and the value for that is that we can then keep that money in our possession and then utilize it to create a better return than what we'd get in this inside the insurance policy if we were just using a standard policy that had no leverage. Uh, okay, so now we're in a situation where we've decided that, that, that I can create value here. What we're doing then is rather than us putting the money in, we're going to have a bank contribute those dollars rather than us. Well, again, we're not using money ourselves. We're just going to hold collateral which we can also invest. Okay, so um, just 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 before you move on, I just want to put yeah. sort of a real scenario to this. I mean, not necessarily, you know, we're still kind of working with numbers. But say, for example, what we're really saying here is, you know, whereas normally, you know, maybe you put in for typical Velocity Plus, you're putting maybe, you know, $20,000 a year and then it's a three-to-one leverage. Here, we're saying, you know what? We're not, you, you have a couple options, I guess. One would be, you're going to do, you're going to put in a portion. Maybe, uh, maybe you've decided that you can afford a hundred thousand or you're, you're interested in doing a hundred thousand dollars a year. And you know, the bank may put in $900,000 and all of a sudden you have a million dollars per year working, um, in accumulating cash value. That's one of the options, right? Or you may say, you know what? I have this account. I have this secure, I have this this account that's sitting here, it's an Ameritrade account, and I've got stocks and bonds, and I've got a couple million dollars sitting there, I could just collateralize this and not put a penny in this thing and have the, the bank loan me a million dollars a year. And right. so now I'm basically creating a second source of, uh, of investment without putting any money in. Right. Yeah, and that's really it. it comes be, becomes kind of a sliding scale. So to the extent that I do put money into it, then I don't have to cover that collateral with outside, or cover the loan with outside collateral, 
or like you're saying, if, if ultimately I just say, hey, I have this money over here, it's going to do its thing over these next whatever number of years, either way, why don't I just post it as collateral and now create a new a asset out of really no skin in the game, right? I'm, I'm financing 100% of the, the money going in there. And either of those scenarios are, are great. They, they may just work differently for, for different people. Uh, and, and, you know, there are other factors involved here as well. So for example, we're, we're, we're getting a loan from the bank. We, we have to pay that back eventually, right? We're going to do that using the cash value from the policy that we're creating. Well, if that normally would take 20 years to do, I could speed that up by putting money into it, into the, the plan as we go. Maybe I paid off in 15 or 12 or, or something sooner, right? Because I've, I've, uh, I've added money to the pot just to, to speed it up. You've, you've ultimately lessened your leverage component, right? So every time we reduce leverage, we can, we, we're really doing two things. We reduce leverage, we're reducing the risk profile of the strategy and creating some of those other things that Rod mentioned. And maybe one thing to just emphasize is that, that I didn't really hit on in my overview is that there's, there's a couple of key benefits here. One is, is that we can use this to create massive amounts of tax-free income. Um, this is where it is really, really powerful. It also is going to be really applicable, again, as we talk about high net worth people for estate planning, right? Like if I, let's say that I've got a, let's say that I've got an estate that's worth 20 or 30 million or even 10 million today that could grow to 20 or 30 million. Um, do I really want to buy a 20 or $30 million life insurance policy out of my pocket? Uh, the answer is that this provides a significantly more efficient way to do it. And again, the thing that makes us unique and different here is the design. It has to be done the right way. This is a specialized area, a niche area that just most people in our industry um, do very little with. Most people have an idea of what it is, but they just don't work in it uh, consistently. So those are kind of the key benefits. And I really, and I always tell people, whether it's us or somebody else, make sure that you're working with somebody that has a specialized knowledge of this because it is unique and, and niche-like. Yeah, and we do have, you know, we do have a number of people in our group in this area. So Rod and Christian certainly have probably as much activity and experience as this, uh, as, as, as anyone else around. Um, let me, let me, um, ask you this in terms of the premium finance and, and just so anybody, if anybody's confused about the premium finance, all it means is that you're getting the premium that you pay every year, you're getting it financed, right? Uh, the bank is lending the premium out. So you're not paying it. That's I know that seems like basic, but sometimes I know it, some <laughs> I think it's an important point to mention. Yeah. And sometimes we, we talk about this stuff so much that we, that we neglect to hit on the very basic stuff. <laughs> yeah, so right. the other thing that we have to do here, it, which might seem obvious, but we're going to, we need to generate more money in the policy than what we're paying in interest. Right. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately it's a, that's the, that's what the basis of the concept is about, which is again, why we normally will use an indexed universal life policy Sometimes, depending on age, we can go with whole life and still accomplish that feat. But, but, but anyway, I, I think your point there, Buck, is really important. Sometimes we just gloss over it and assume people are going to know. And uh, so, anyway, thanks for so, doing that. Yeah, no. And, and the other point that you brought you the, this question, I was it leads into my question though about if you're doing premium financing, can you? Does it make sense to do with the banking type policy, or is it almost always going to be with the uh, you know the the the, the indexed uh, universal yeah it, it's a great question so um, when we go inside of the whole life policy um, we tell people 
that they should expect somewhere between, most people are going to expect somewhere between five and 6%, depending on age and health, right? Right. Well, the IUL gives us a little bit more upside potential. Now, interest rates are really good. So if interest rates stayed the same as they are today, then working with a whole life policy would work great. I'd get, I'd get a really good arbitrage between the two, um, which I don't want to overplay this arbitrage because even if we're equal on both sides, we're still going to win in a really significant way. But um, ultimately, we're trying to get we're trying to create an arbitrage, and we usually plan for about a two percent arbitrage early in the in the cum- accumulation part, and one percent arbitrage as we go through retirement. I'm kind of get, I think I got off topic there a little bit, but but anyway, the the long and short of it is is that it creates this ability. It's the ability to create something out of nothing, and well, in terms in terms of in terms of a whole life uh, version, though premium finance. In other words, what I I think I hear you're saying is that as interest rates rise, you may you know it may not be quite as 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 safe to do uh, to do something that's a fixed interest product as opposed yes, to something that that's exactly it right. Whereas, Thanks for bringing me back to point. I was struggling for a second. <laughs> That's what I'm here. I am here to dumb down things for people because the only way I understand them is if they're really dumbed down. You know, um, it's the way I bowl. I just throw the ball down the middle. I don't. I can never put curve on anything. Um, but but uh, and so and, and that's a good point too because like you know people say well what if interest you know interest rates are going up but then you know the, the the market's not performing usually what you find is interest rates are correlating with markets going up right I mean um, yeah the, the idea is that the interest rates are going up because there is asset inflation right mm-hmm. there and so. So they, they are things that typically are going to go in tandem. So in some respects, so I think what you're telling me is that doing a, a product that is, you know, that's, uh, that is actually correlated with the equity markets helps you to hedge inflation and therefore keep that arbitrage. Yeah, you got it. That's exactly right. And, and we have some options to do different, you know, different things on the loan side, right? We can even do fixed loans. And if we can lock into, uh, fixed loan today at four and a half percent and and get five and a half percent on our whole life policy that's great and we'll totally do that um, however uh, there's going to be situations where we want to try to create a larger arbitrage and like you said the equity markets work in tandem generally with interest rates here's the cool thing but we've stress tested these things like crazy so regardless of whether it's horrible market conditions from a just a return standpoint or whether it's hyperinflation We've looked at the worst case scenarios over the last hundred years to be able to determine wh- how our design is going to work, even in the worst case situations. So, th- and that that brings up a good point because you know, like I've um, I've talked about this before, and sometimes I get people sending me articles about universal life and how universal life was. <laughs> uh, you know how there's these bad articles about. We're not talking about universal life here. That's not what this is. This is a completely different product. This is an index product, right? So can, you want to clarify that up so I don't get another email yeah. from somebody <laughs> sending me an article that's yeah. useless? So the, there is a big difference between what we call traditional universal life versus this index universal life. And long story short, the, the traditional universal life is built off of prevailing interest rates or more specifically the kind of uh, growth that the insurance company is getting inside of their general account. So, 
there there has there has been a kind of a, a bad time frame there where you know if, if someone was building a product like this in the 90s and they said hey you need x amount premium to going going into this policy to support you know a million dollars of insurance based on this interest rate well we know interest rates are really high in 1990 much higher than they are today and so as that's falling off then then uh, that premium was not enough to support the, the million dollars of insurance because you didn't get the growth that you were expecting on the cash value. Now, so one thing to just to hit on, sorry, Rodica, but one thing I think is really important here is that the design would had, had we had the original universal life policies that Rod's talking about been designed the way that we do it, they still would run fine. Right. right? Uh, However, most people don't design that way so they can potentially run into trouble. And that's where we get this. That's where we get these articles about, the potential challenges that exist with universal life. We're getting older people who are, who might be coming close to the time where they might actually need to use it either from death or for retirement cash flow. And suddenly instead of getting the benefits that they thought they're learning that the policy didn't perform the way they thought it would. And, and at the end of the day, it has everything to do with the design, not the product itself. That's the important thing. Yeah. Cause our conversation is a completely different conversation. We're not saying, Hey, we want X amount of insurance and what's it going to cost to get that? We're saying, Hey, we want to create this, this awesome benefit down the road and m- building a policy in a way to maximize the growth of the cash. And that happens to support whatever death benefit results from that. Yeah. And it makes yeah. all it, the difference. In, the in world. other words, in other words, we're doing this to make money. We're not doing this for life insurance. And I think, and I think, I think that's an important point because I think, um, Although I think the index part of this does make a, a big difference too, because it's basically sure. an, it, it's an options play, right? Yep. But um, but but I do think that it's important to remember that that the the what we're doing here is really unique, in that we you know what Rod and Christian do is they build these things as an investment, not as an insurance product. If you're building it, and I think that's one of the, one of the reasons that it got got a bad name back in the day is because you know, people would sell people insurance and they were, you know, they would tack on, you know, their commission structure would be so ridiculous For sure. and they'd be over, they would not be overfunded. They wouldn't do anything right. And it was victimization. And I think you could do that with really any product. You could even do that with, you know, real estate. And yes, I see it sometimes uh, even today with some syndicators. But the other thing though, I wanted to just say is the index product, when we say indexed, what is what exactly does that mean? Because that's relatively new, right? I mean that, you know, when people are searching yeah. stuff, they're not talking about index universal life. Yeah. So the whole idea here is that we're using a market index. You you use the S and P five hundred years as an example. The money isn't actually invested in the S and P. We're just using that as our measuring stick to determine how much interest gets credited each year. So, like you said, it it becomes kind of an option play that the insurance company is taking the interest that they otherwise would have credited if we had just a regular traditional universal life policy, but instead of giving, just putting that into the policy, they're taking that and using it to invest in options. And then as the option return gives us the return, well, that goes back into the policy. Or if, uh, if the S and P were down that year and, and uh, we end up out of the money, as far as the option goes, we just don't get an interest credit that year. Right. So that's how we're we're protecting ourselves, but also how we're able to capture. Generally, it's about 80 percent of the of the upside of the market. Whereas Universal, the cash was literally going into 
an mm-hmm. investment account. Yeah, yeah, just a fixed income, fixed uh, fixed account where they'll define maybe it's four percent that year, whatever. So yeah, that's exactly right. Right, right. Let me leave it. Let me ask you this. Uh, I think it'd be helpful to know because you guys obviously, um, you know, you're you're busy. We have a lot of people, even within the wealth formula community, who are doing for sure these policies. If what are some of the most common questions or misconceptions or anything else out there that you get all the time that might be helpful to clear up, you know? For yeah, people. I think that's great. So I think the biggest thing goes back to this whole idea of cost of insurance, right? So we got an email, I got an email over the last uh, few days where uh, one of the people we're working with that just talked to, you know, a former advisor and they'd given some thoughts to him and the email was really focused on cost of insurance as it, as it related to this premium finance structures. And, and what's, what ends up happening is that, well, let's put it this way. Anyone that works in the space knows that one of the greatest benefits to what we do is that it's really, really low cost. And I'm talking like half a percent low cost. So let me, so if I went to somebody and said, Hey, I can get you a fixed 5% tax free return. That's going to be completely liquid. You can use your money and, um, and have a death benefit. And it's only going to cost you a half a percent. Like, that's really pretty good, right? So, and, and then on, on the premium finance side, it's just all the benefits that come with premium finance for only a really small percentage cost. Um, to, at least for me, that's maybe the biggest misconception that's out there. And I know we've hit on it, but if we just keep focusing on this idea that we're, we're building it to create wealth rather than just to protect it. Um, that's, I think that's the biggest one that I usually hear. Yeah, I think I I I I agree definitely because that was a big thing for me too, and personally understanding that that overall what we're trying to look at is we have a permanent asset that we're paying a little bit upfront for, and if you look at the long, if you look at it in in, in entirety, you know, over the course of 10, 20, 30 years, the the cost of that in terms of the money that's coming out, uh, you know, that would be equivalent to fees is really low. You know, it's less, yeah. less than a half percent, as you said, which is really, you know, show me, show me any um, account that's going to do better than that. It's unusual. So how about you, Rod? Yeah, I'd say um, when it comes down to just this concept, that's on, and I'm talking about the wealth fund, the banking side now about uh, just just the idea of using an opportunity fund and, and that we're people who are putting their money in the bank. Well, p- put it this way. Uh, sometimes we'll have people will come and they'll say, well, the opportunity cost of, of those, the cost that I'm absorbing up front in the policy, it's, it's too much. I can't, you know, I'm, if I'm out here creating, you know, 15, 20% returns in my, in my investments, how am I ever going to overcome that? And the, and the point, the fact is you, you actually wouldn't do anything with all the banking if you were always able to get 15, 20% on every dollar, every minute of the day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is, is that you, you aren't. And so there, because there's downtime on your money, because as, as money cash flows off of that investment, you need somewhere to put it before there's enough of it or to, before you find that next opportunity where you can go and invest it. And so uh, that's what this is. This is the opportunity fund where we're, we're funneling money into it then we're using that money to go invest. And as the, as the cash flows are coming off of that investment, we're putting it back into the policy, rejuvenate for the next opportunity and, and repeat. Yeah, and you could probably break, break even, even quicker 
I mean, just by starting to borrow and investing in the very things that you're getting 15% on, because that's the whole idea. It's not, for me, it's not either or, it's both, right? Right. It's the idea that if I can get 15% somewhere and I use a banking policy, that 15% all in on the same capital, the return on equity will be higher. It'll be probably somewhere in in the 20s. That's the confusing part for people. I think sometimes is when you look at this thing in a bubble and you say, yeah, you know, five and a half percent. Hey, listen, I don't get excited about anything less than really getting 20 percent annualized myself. And um, so I'm looking at this as a tool to take something from 15 to 20. I'm not looking at it as something just to get five. So, yep. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a great point. Yeah. Well, guys, listen, I, I know uh, we've been at it a, long, uh, a while here, but I just, you know, we, we talk about these things a lot. Um, I'm especially in a, in, a, in a, you know, when I look at the market kind of being a little shaky right now, people do have a lot of equities. And this is just one of those things that, you know, depending on, uh, depending on your situation, one of these products may be of real benefit. Um I'm definitely a big fan of both. I think they're very different. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's why kind of my redesign, like I said before, I you know took a loss on a banking policy and I'm having Christian Rod restructure one. And at the same time, I'm doing a premium finance IUL. Uh, and we'll do a webinar on that too so you guys can and see that. Um, I haven't kind of gotten through that one yet. But anyway, yeah. So, so thanks again, guys. I appreciate it. And um, and we'll be we'll, pleasure uh, have you yeah, on again. I'm sure, and we'll talk soon. That's great. Perfect. Thanks, Buck. We appreciate it. We'll be right back. Now, welcome back to the show, everyone. Now, we will be doing a, a webinar in the near future on a ultra wealthy policy webinar that we we kind of alluded to during this particular podcast, and that should come out in the next couple of months. So, stay tuned for that. But in the meantime. Just about anyone listening to this podcast can get involved with these products. Just go to wealthformulabanking.com, check them out. You know, and I will just add one more thing, and that is that, you know, the proof is in the pudding with these things. If you know anybody who's done a banking-type policy or a leveraged IUL, which I know many people, including people in Wealth Formula Network, literally everyone I know who's gotten a banking policy over the last few years is really happy that they did it. And frankly, that's really hard to say about anything quite as consistently as that. And the resilience of these companies is really important to consider in uncertain financial times. Then if you ask me the question about, are you sitting on cash or should you be sitting on cash or whatever? Now, banking is a phenomenal way to sit on cash because you are literally creating compounding interest rather than using it at a bank basically getting negative interest. Anyway, it is certainly something worth learning about so that um, even if you don't think it's right for you, you know, watch the webinars, make an educated decision. Don't let a bunch of boneheads that don't know anything about the proper way to structure these things and, and give you their opinion. Give, you know, don't, don't take that as fact. Watch for yourself, get the numbers and If it makes sense for you, move forward. If not, don't worry about it. At least you know the truth. Anyway, that is it for me. Uh, That's all I got this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. Next week is Christmas week. And uh, because of that, we're going to do a very cozy 
Ask Buck show. And so make sure that you got plenty of eggnog sitting around for that one. I have been doing this thing, and maybe you might find this to be kind of gross, but I, I really like it. Okay, it's basically what I do is I mix Bailey's and milk, and I put it in the microwave, and I love it. I love it. And it's really good. I mean, I, I guess like it's kind of, you know, a little eggnoggy, so that's why I'm kind of bringing it up. But anyway, um, that's it for me this week. This is Buck Joffrey with Wealth Formula Podcast signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.